Why choose a Sleep Number Smart Bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number Smart Bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 Smart Bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, plus free home delivery when you add an adjustable base. Ends Monday. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. Is my baby going to be able to do those things? How is he going to be able to play like the other kids? And why is it that my baby was born with that diagnosis? And why, you know, it was very, very hard. Hello, and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. I have a doctor in psychology and am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, university professor, writer, and mom of two. Each episode of the Parentologist Podcast focuses on a variety of topics related to parenting, family, children, and mental health. I'm glad you're here. On today's episode, I have Hilda Dunford, who is a mom of three and is also a special needs mom raising a son who is legally blind. She is going to share her inspiring story today of motherhood and her son. And also, we are not only both moms, but we also share a degree in psychology and also work as parenting mentors. Hilda, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Kim. Of course, you know, I we met online for um, anyone listening today to this episode, you know, we, we met online. Uh, we're both, you know, moms on Instagram, if you will. And I have just always been so inspired by your story, just inspired by, um, you know, your story of motherhood and then also your son. Um, he's so dynamic and just all the things that you've done with him and just all the things that he's capable of. And it just, um, it just lifts my heart every time I see one of your posts. Um, you know, you, you know, talking about your family and whatnot. Um, and so I just wanted you to be on the show today just to share that with other moms and other parents out there that maybe uh, in a similar situation, maybe they are um, also uh, raising a special needs child. Um, and I know there's, you know, just a lot of support that is needed. Um, you know, it takes a village for all of us parents. But, um, you know, with the work that I've done uh, with special needs kids myself um, in the workplace, um, I know there's just so much more to it. And I just think you have such a beautiful story um, that I really wanted you on the show today to share that. So um, so thank you for that. But you have just done so many dynamic things, like I said, as a parent. Um, so I wanted to kind of start from the beginning. I know your story because I've been following you for a while, but I'd love for you to, to um, talk about your son um, and just maybe share um, just kind of maybe from birth on, I mean, you know, in yeah. a, in a summary type way, um, you know, just kind of where this journey started, um, with him, um, you know, what it was like to find out about his diagnosis and, and, and what that was like, um, you know, when he was first born. So, um, when Ashton was born, we didn't really know, we didn't know that anything was wrong with him up until he was like two months old. Um, okay. He didn't start, he didn't track toys like most babies do at that age or start doing at that age. So we, um, I talked to his pediatrician and he kept telling me, oh, he's going to start tracking. He'll start tracking. And I kept kind of asking if he could just refer me to the ophthalmologist until eventually it was like, okay, his eyes are bouncing. They're not tracking like he doesn't respond he doesn't look towards the sounds around him like other babies do 
he gets startled, he'd get startled, but he would just would not look. So right. um, we went to an ophthalmologist and she recommended we do an MRI. Um, once she did the MRI, she called me with the results and it was really, really hard to get those results. She was very kind though. She, she told me, she, she said, are you with someone that you can talk to after we're done talking? And I knew, you know, like she was going to give me a really hard diagnosis when she was saying. Sure. Sure. So um, she said, Ashton is blind. He has bilateral optic nerve hypoplasia and it means his optic nerves are underdeveloped. And I just felt like my whole world just fell apart. Like I was just, I was just holding him and sitting in a rocking chair. And I just remember just crying and just having all these questions and worries about his future and not knowing how I was going to raise him and how I was going to be able to teach him all the things that, you know, other babies, like all the milestones and, you know, she gave me all these resources, but I didn't really know. I, it was really, really hard. Yeah. You know, I can, I, I yeah, I, I can't even imagine, you know, what that moment was like. Um, and gosh, I can just picture you holding him in your arms, you know, in that rocking chair, um, just, you know, weeping and just of all, you know, just all of those feelings um, at once um, is pretty overwhelming. And obviously you, you know, have your, uh, have a history with psychology. So, you know, just what that can do emotionally, mentally, physically, um, you know, in that moment. Now, if I'm correct and correct me if I'm wrong, that this diagnosis is rare and only happens in one in 10,000 births. Is that correct? Yes, that is yes. correct. So we, yeah, so we got the one baby with the diagnosis and there's no reason. I mean, I've, I've researched, I've read lots of articles about it, but there's not really a reason why they don't know right. why it happens. Wow. Gosh, that's interesting. Um, you know, I think about, and again, this is completely almost probably off topic if you really think about it, but, you know, just in anything that anyone's diagnosed with, whether it's a physical ailment, uh, a mental ailment, you know, whatever the case is. And, you know, sometimes I don't know if it's easier or harder when doctors give us those types of uh, numbers, those statistics, um, because, hey, you don't want you're a human being and you don't want to feel like a statistic or you don't want your child to feel like a statistic. Do you know what I mean? Um, but, you know, and yeah. how then you think of, well, why was my child just that one out of all those 10,000 kids that could have gotten it, but mine, you know, um, and there's, you know, maybe some, um, some sadness or guilt. Did you ever experience that of thinking, why me or why him? Yeah, it was very, very hard. I think the first year was probably the hardest. And I was actually working on getting my degree in psychology when Ashton was born. Um, I graduated when he was five months old. So I was still working on that. And when we got his diagnosis, I was a preschool teacher because that was like my part-time job while I wasn't in school. And I remember just going into my classroom and watching all the kids playing and just thinking like, mm -hmm. How, you know, why, like, is my baby going to be able to do those things? How is he going to be able to play like the other kids? And why is it that my baby was born with that diagnosis? And why, you know, it was very, very hard. Yes. Yes. Um, like I said, I can imagine. And uh, the reason I was bringing it up too is how I related to it is uh, I think you may know this because you've been following me for a while, but I'm a two-time breast cancer survivor. And again, I know it's completely different, um, but I was just thinking about 
the the diagnosis and you know the feeling that you get and how the doctor told me well you know one in i think it's one in eight now you know but mm-hmm. i still thought well why do i have to do it and then after you're done you go through your surgeries and then you get diagnosed again and they're telling you know telling me that it was it was so rare to get diagnosed twice within seven years, but yet I was, you know, um, and it still felt like, well, why me? Why was I that one person out of you know twenty hundred thousand people that could have gotten it, and why did I get it again? And it's just that that feeling. Um, so I know what that feels like for me personally, and you know, having that dealing with that as a mom, um, you know, I, I think would just be. Uh, so much harder. So I'm just want to mention real, before we move on, just I'm just so proud of your strength. I'm so inspired by your strength because um, that would be a very, very um, difficult news to hear and, and to process and whatnot. Um, so can I ask you for any other moms or parents out there listening who may have gone through something similar themselves or with their child, what did you find that helped you cope through all of that? Um, what what helped you through those moments, those darker, sad moments? Um, I think being able to find other parents that felt, that understood how I was feeling and also being able to learn more about ways how to help my child because you feel very, um, you feel... Cause you, cause I didn't know how to, how to teach him. I had never been around anyone that was blind. So I, a lot of the times I just felt like, um, those feelings came with a lot of like wondering, like, am I going to be able to be the best mom for him? Because I don't know anything about raising a blind child. And so being able to learn those things and also leaning on other parents that have the same kind of feelings and being able to talk about those feelings. I went to support groups when he was a baby. And so that really, really helped um, having a community, um, a group of parents that understands how you feel because it's very hard. And and everyone tells you, I remember I couldn't. I couldn't explain how I felt to my family or relatives because they didn't have special needs children. Right. And so they didn't understand and they just would keep saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And it, you know, it's just, I I look back to that and I wish someone would have been like, it's going to be okay. Like this is, you know, like this is just, he's just going to learn things a different way and it's going to work out and he's going to do great and he's going to thrive. Instead of hearing so many people telling me, I'm so sorry. Yes. Yes. Uh, and I think there should be more education out there for parents. I know you do parent mentoring. I do parent mentoring and, and workshops and education and teaching. Um, but I feel like there there should be. And, and maybe there is, and I just don't know about it out there somewhere. But there should be more education on on that. And you know um, how to, what language to use and how to communicate with other parents. Um, in times of distress or in times of um, different things that they're they're dealing with, it could be a numerous numerous amount of things that it could be. Um, but I, I feel like sometimes people try to say the right thing and they don't, and it sometimes makes it worse. Right? So um, yeah. that should be something. Maybe we can partner up and 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 do an online course one day for parents of you know how how to address certain certain things um, you know with other parents because. Um, as much as sometimes people may try, it, it just um, it sometimes is more damaging, you know, and what they say and whatnot. So um, 
but but like I said at the beginning, whoever is listening that does not know this family yet um, online, and we'll share your handle at the end so they can you know continue following your story. Um, he is just so dynamic, and I'm smiling right now because I, I just see so many wonderful things that he does. So I want to take a minute to kind of chat about that. Um, you know, I know he has some other struggles. I believe that um, I've, I've I've seen you post and, and mention about um, different medications that he he needs to take for um, his you know hormones and growth um, developmentally. I'm not sure where he's at right now, but in addition yeah, to so- doing this, yeah. So he, so later on, um, his, his, we found out that, so optic nerve hypoplasia is a condition that affects his optic nerves, but septo optic dysplasia is a condition that is like that, the blindness plus the hormone deficiency. And he actually had that too. So some babies with his diagnosis just have the blindness but some okay. go on to have septo-optic dysplasia that, so they need, so he needs hydrocortisone every day to regulate like stress levels. He takes, um, thyroid, um, because his, he, he can't control, um, he needs the replacement for that because his body doesn't make it on its own. And then he also has to have an injection of growth hormone every night too. Oh, goodness. Uh, I mean, how does he, how does he handle that? I mean, I, I don't, I'm, I don't even know how you handle that, but how does he handle that? I know I work with a lot of children in my practice that, um, may not need all those things, but even just medication, daily medication, um, that they take for all sorts of things. And it's a struggle. It's a struggle for the parents to give their child a medication, um, every single day. Um, I don't know what his experience has been like with that or yours, but if you have any suggestions, um, have you found something that works, um, with him or how to get him to take his medication, or maybe he's great and he takes it really willingly. I'm not sure, but, um, do you have any advice out there for other parents that are struggling to give their kids, um, daily medication for what they need? Um, I think consistency, like making, having it be part of your routine, like every day at the same time he gets, he knows he gets his medication. I think that helped, especially when he was younger, but, um, we did have to dissolve the pills when he was a baby and we did have to, you know, he cried a lot. He still doesn't like the shot. That's like the hardest one. Sure. Yes, of course. But I mean, he understands like why he needs, why he needs to take the medications. And now he's old enough to advocate for himself. When we go see the endocrinologist, he asks questions and, you know, and he, he knows what med, what medications are helping him for what. And so he's, um, he's pretty good about taking them now. Good. Good. Cause I do, like I said, that, that is a struggle, you know, um, for a lot of parents out there and, we know what's good for our children, right? We know what's best for them. And we know that they, they need certain things, even if they protest. Um, and that makes it hard too, because uh, just the whole process can be really stressful. So, uh, and he is older now, and I'm glad that he advocates for himself. Um, that's, that's a great leadership skill right there. Um, that's amazing that he can, that he does that. Um, I, I try to teach, you know, children to self-advocate all the time for all sorts of things. Um, so I always loved hearing when, when kids do that already on their own. Now, um, before we get into all the dynamic things that he, uh, that he does, um, you also mentioned something about his brain. Um, and I, I thought you had mentioned that there's a part of his brain that's missing and I wasn't sure how that affects him developmentally, um, so, you know, on a day-to-day basis. 
Yeah, so he's missing the septum pellucidum. That's like the midline in the brain. Okay. So it's very hard for him, like um, different tasks were really hard for him to learn, like co- like crossing the midbrain, like like I obviously eye hand coordination is so hard when you're blind, but just yes. like different tasks were much harder to learn for him. But he has worked really hard and he is doing really, really well as far as like developmentally, he's exactly like where a 10 year old would be. He's never, I mean, his reading level is a little, is behind, but it's mostly because it's Braille and Braille is harder to learn than print. So, sure. he, but, but most blind children get caught up by the time they're like in middle school, like they've caught up with their peers with their reading levels. They're just reading it in Braille instead of print. So that's pretty normal. Um, he's very smart. He's not behind and cognitively he's right where he's supposed to be. He's very, very mature for his age. Wow. That's wonderful. Now, speaking of Braille, uh, I just, I, I love, I love hearing, like I said, I'm so inspired by your story. I just keep smiling because I think, because I know People out there listening that are meeting you for the first time today don't know, but I know they're going to know more about you and your family. But um, you mentioned Braille. I know that you have all probably all sorts of different types of interventions that he's had throughout his whole life. I mean, he's 10, but I'm sure he's had a lot in the meantime. So um, I know he's learning Braille. Where did you find, um, and, and if you have any other interventions that he he gets on a regular basis or any type of things that helps him you know, stay at that developmental level for his age? Um, you know, what other interventions does he have? Um, and where do you find the support and help to get him those things? So I, um, have worked really hard with our school district. So he gets all of the intervention in a regular elementary school class. I never wanted him to be, I mean, I think I, I, I never wanted him to have to go to a different school or, he, he loves being around his peers. So I always advocated for him to have all of his services at our, at our elementary school. So he gets, um, orientation and mobility there. They teach him how to use his cane. He gets a braille teacher for most of the day that transcribes everything in braille for him in the same classroom as the other kids are doing print. Um, he also gets occupational therapy, I think that's like a couple times a month. And then he gets um, a resource teacher that helps him get caught up in math because math is very abstract for a child that is blind. So all of those, all of those um, are part of his IEP team and they have been amazing for him. He's been in the elementary school since kindergarten. And I am so happy that we, we made that work with the district because not all, some blind children, um, they have to go to the school of the blind. And I just pushed, I advocated for him so that he would be able to have that with his friends, you know, with the kids in our neighborhood. And he would be able to have that community too. Exactly. And for any parent out there listening, I know obviously professionally, I have worked uh, with many families, many, many parents and children um, that have an IEP or even a 504 plan. Um, And so anyone who's listening that is in the midst of all of that, it is such a struggle um, with so many districts. I I mean, I've worked for probably maybe, I don't know, at least 10 uh, plus districts. 
in my professional career lifetime. And I've never really met an IEP team that I've loved <laughs> because there's just, it's such a struggle to have to, to advocate for your child and for what um, they need. Um, you know, and a lot of times there's so much pushback from the school and, you know, the different resources that are available. And I feel like you're always, you know, fighting and advocating and, in, in, you know, for your child. And I know how hard that can be. I know how hard that's been for the parents that I've supported throughout that process to get, you know, what their child needs. So it makes me so happy that you have a, a good team and that you fought for that. You have advocated for your son to get those things and that he's in an elementary school. And, you know, not only for just what he's learning academically, but also that social component, component which is so important. Um, and if he really loves that and he loves being with his friends and that that social aspect of it, um, that's that's huge. So kudos to you because that's not easy work. It's not easy to advocate for your child like that. So um um, just yeah, it's just not easy. So good for you for that. Um, Thank you. <laughs> speaking speaking of you know how difficult it can be, what have you found to be the hardest part about uh, raising a child with special needs? Um, and then what's the best part? What do you feel that you've learned, or what has been a gift in all of this? I think the hardest part is the unknown, the uncertainty of how you're going to help your child reach certain milestones and um how they're going to feel like they belong when they do different, do things differently and sometimes are looked at differently than other children. I think that's the, some of the hardest things like making, how is, how is my child going to thrive and feel like they belong in a group with their peers and not feel like they are alone, you know? Right. Yes. And what do you, what do you think is, um, what have you maybe learned from it? Obviously he's a gift in itself, you know, him, him being your child is, is, is the biggest gift of all, but, um, what have you learned from it? What has been maybe something that you're surprised about that you learned about being a special needs parent? So, um, I think when, when I first, that first year when I was so sad and had such a hard time with his diagnosis, I didn't realize how much I would love celebrating all of those milestones. I mean, we worked so hard for the crawling and the first steps and Braille and, you know, just everything. And so you don't see how much you, you celebrate those so much more that you, you know, like it, it, it makes you feel, um, you just feel like other parents are missing out. Because, you know, like they just expect you, you, you just expect your child to reach those milestones and they don't, you don't, they don't usually have to work as hard as a child with special needs. So when you've been working with your child and they finally get that first step or they finally are able to um, do something that you never knew that they were going to be able to do, it's a huge deal. And being able to celebrate that with him and seeing the world the way that he sees it, that's probably one of my favorite things because he is the kindest. He has the biggest heart. And I always tell him that he sees with his heart because he always sees um, the best on with everybody. And it just always, it, it teaches me a different perspective that I had never, ever, that I would never know about if I wasn't his mom. Right. Oh, so beautiful. Now let's talk about his siblings um, for, for just a minute and how they've adjusted to, um, you know, having a brother that might maybe possibly get 
some more attention sometimes, you know, because of his special needs. Um, what has that been like for your your other two children um, when possibly, like, like I said, maybe there's been um, more attention spent possibly on him at certain times and things like that? Um, how has that been like for them and how have they adjusted to all of it? Um, my oldest has always been really protective of him. So I feel like she, like if she just wants to help him and take care of him, I just try to have, you know, our own time together too. Um, in our house, we call it my time. So like we just spend time together doing something that they want to do so that they don't feel like we're always because I, I Ashton does have a lot of doctor's appointments and we do have to do a lot of things with school and everything. So I try to do that with them regularly so that my girls don't feel like, oh, mom's always busy with Ashton and, you know, like we don't get any time together with her. So. Right. Right. And I but, love that. Uh, I, yeah. And I advocate that. And what about your youngest daughter? I know she's a few years younger than him. Um, how has she adjusted, um, you know, to, to, to him and the attention that he gets and so forth? So she's younger, so she has had a hard time with it. Um, sometimes she'll say things like, oh, I wish I was blind or I wish I used a cane because mm. she knows that he gets a little bit more attention, but we work on it. I mean, she is a dancer and so I, we also have time together to do things like dance competitions. I'll just go with her and she loves that. Or if we have to go and like, I have to get her ready for her competition, then it's just time with me and her. And so I try to balance it out so that both of my girls are getting some time too. And they don't feel like they're just um, left out because they don't need as much attention with, with, with having a special like medical need. Right. Right. Um, and, and yes, I mean, very natural, you know, uh, for, for a child to even say things like that, to even maybe believe that, you know, because um, just because of the, you know, the attention itself. And as she grows, I know she'll, she'll change that perspective. But um, I love that you do the my time. Um, I advocate that for parents all the time and recommend that and suggest that and say, you know, if, if one or more of their, if they have at least, even if they're a single parent or a single child um, in the home, I say, you know, we really really, really make special time for your, for each of your kids. Um, so I love that you do that. I'm, I'm sure it, you, I'm seeing, I feel like you have a very busy schedule <laughs> and, um, I, I'm sure, you know, I, I don't know how much self-care that you get. Um, but it seems as if between, like you said, the, the doctor's appointments and school and homework and dance and, you know, spending individual time with all three of your children and, and, and everything else in between, um, do you do you have any time for yourself? Um, and if you do, what do you suggest other moms out there do to to have a little bit of you time, some self care time, in the midst of everything else that you do for your kids? Um, I think that it's so so important. So I actually go to the gym. It's only a forty five minute camp, is what they call it, but I have a really a community at my gym that I really love. And it helps me like, it just helps me with mental health and physical and everything. And so that's my thing. It's only 45 minutes in the morning while my kids are in school. But um, it's like something that really has helped me a ton. And I think, you know, you have to find what works for you, what you like to do. I like to be active. So that's like my thing. 
And I, I can tell when I haven't been able to get those just 45 minutes to myself that I, exactly. I struggle. Yes, exactly. And, and I think that's really important. It doesn't even have to be, you know, I tell people when people think about self-care, they think they have to take a whole day aside and, you know, go to a spa and, you know, get really relaxed or, you know, take a weekend off on a vacation or something. And it doesn't have to be. It can be 45 minutes at a gym. It can be, you know, 15 minutes here and there throughout your day where you just mindfully take a couple deep breaths or get some fresh air or, and I can go on and on. I know that's not the topic of our of our episode today, but um, but it's so important, like you said, just to get even something that belongs to you, even if it's a short amount of time each day, um, can really um, do wonders on your mental health and your emotional health, et cetera. So I'm so glad that you prioritize that and make time for yourself for that. Um, I know we're almost on a time, but I have a, just a few more questions. Um, I know a lot of times too, when I've worked with, um, again, families with special needs children, uh, of how much that can affect their, their marriage and their relationship. Um, I was just curious if you had any advice for, um, any other families out there, uh, on maybe what's worked for, for you and your marriage and just, um, it can be very difficult obviously on a marriage, um, to, to, to do all the things that you do, um, with, with a special needs child. So do you have any advice on that or what's worked for you, um, in your marriage? I think to always check in on each other. Like I make sure that at least, even if we, my husband and I are busy cause he's at work and I'm at home with the kids that we always check in at the end of the day or whenever we have a chance or just know how we are doing. Um, and you know, and we're there for each other whenever, you know, like appointments, doctor's appointments or things like he's always been my rock, like my best friend with everything. I don't know that I'd have been able to handle racing Ashton on my own without him. Like he's, he's an amazing dad and he's just always so supportive of everything that I'm doing and just, you know, supporting each other and working together. I think that strengthens the relationship, especially when you have a child with special needs and, you know, the, the future that you planned or for your family or for your child is different. And so both of you grieve together and lean on each other. And I think that strengthens your relationship and your marriage. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and great advice. I love daily check-ins, um, either as a, as a couple or even with a parent-child dynamic, you know, checking with your kids each day, um, keeping a pulse on your marriage, keeping a pulse or your relationship and keeping a pulse on, on your kids, um, I think is so important just uh, in, yeah, the family system. So um, now you mentioned earlier, and this is my my favorite question of the day, because I can't wait for more people to know really who Ashton is and and what, what he's capable of. So um, I've, I've seen all sorts of things that he can do. Um, he can ride a scooter. He rides a skateboard. He able He's able to ride his bike to school. Um, I think I, I've even seen him going skiing before. He knows how to ski. Yeah. He plays the piano. All of those things are so incredible. Um, how, how has he been able to do all those things? Um, I, I love how active he is. Um, but being blind, you know, like you said, when, when you first got that diagnosis, you may have thought, oh my gosh, my kid, my child may not ever be able to go skiing, skiing or ride a bike or, you know, all those things that we think our kids are going to grow up to do. Um, so tell me more about that because those are just incredible um, things that he's been able to accomplish. Yeah. So um, from the time he was little and he, you know, whenever he was curious about learning something new, I always, always 
from the beginning decided I'm going to give him a chance before I ever, you know, limit him. So I think that like from the time he had any, he has any memory of doing anything. It's just mom's always been encouraging me and supporting me that I can do this. So every time he, he, you know, when he wanted to ride a bike, we got him a balance bike. It wasn't a bike with pedals because the pedals were really hard, but then the balance bike got too small. So then we found a bigger balance bike. And then eventually he just decided, I want to try pedals because all my friends have pedals and I think I can do it. And so he did. And that's how he, that's how he learned. And then there was a ski camp opportunity and we, I had never gone skiing, but he wanted to try skiing. So we went as a family and now it's something that we do every single year because he loves it so much. And so like whenever he wants to try something, I just think, you know, I have to give them a chance and I want to, I want him to try before I ever say no, that's, you know, or limit him because that's how he's learned to do all those things. Skateboarding that was like his dad's thing. And he always, he never knew his son would be able to do it with him. And just in the last year, Ashton decided I want to skateboard for my birthday. And so we went and let him pick out the skateboard and then he got on the skateboard and wow. he was going with his cane. And, you know, it's amazing. I can't even get on the skateboard. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh, it's just, I, I mean, it's just incredible. The support that you give him. I love, I love how you, how you, how you did that for him, how you, um, cause I think sometimes we don't mean to maybe limit our children. Um, and, and, and this could be for a typical child, special needs child, whoever it is. Sometimes I feel like, um, we think we know what's best or, you know, like I said, it ends up limiting him, like you would mention, um, instead of letting them try and look what, look what all he's accomplished and being legally blind and he's able to do all those things. Uh, I'm just, I'm just all inspired by, by him and by you and just, um, you know, all, all the things that he's capable of and all the support that you've given him to get there. Um, so my last question is what advice do you have for other parents who are raising a son who possibly is blind, um, and, or just a, a child with special needs, any advice that you have for any other moms and parents out there? Um, don't, don't, I guess, don't ever think that they won't be able to do something, um, just because of their diagnosis or, um, don't ever limit them. There's always a different way that they can learn to do something and, um, always support them and encourage them. And, um, just always be there for them. I, I just celebrate those little milestones, even if it takes them a little bit longer to learn something, like celebrate it with them. And, you know, like you'll be amazed by everything that they can do because it really, it really is a beautiful thing to raise a child that has special needs and sees the world a different way. It's, um, it's been beautiful for me. And I, you know, I, can never imagine life any other way for Ashton. Like he's perfect to me. He's, he's an amazing kid. Absolutely. He, he truly is. Where can people find you online to follow your story and get to know you and Ashton a little bit better and the rest of your family? Where can they find you? Um, on Instagram and my page is called Our Blind Side. 
Wonderful. Well, I know I've been following you for so long and I just love, um, you know, just following your family and your in your journey. Um, thank you again for being on here today. I hope this episode has just inspired other parents out there and has just um, and, and help support other parents out there that may be going through something similar. So thank you again for your time and sharing your story. Thanks for having me, Kim. Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the Parentologist podcast so you don't miss an episode and make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.